You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for nearly the last nine years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, you know what you do. You go out, you grab a big victory Mm -hmm. on network TV, and then you roll up in your post-fight interview with your prepared material. And you go ahead and you challenge a group of professional football players to a badminton or a pickleball contest. That's how you do it. That's what Naturally. we're doing yeah. in the year of our Lord 2021. Thought we might open this show by talking a little bit about what our guy Julian Marquez has going. What kind of gimmick he's working here as he progresses through the UFC ranks with a big victory uh, this weekend over there on ABC, of course. And uh, then gets on the mic, challenges some guys to a pickleball match. Now, Chad, I'm going to say this right now. I'm not totally sure what pickleball is. See, that's I, what I thought, I too. I, here, I'll tell you what I know about it. That's some gym class shit. That's what okay. I know. But that's I'll tell it. you what that's... I know about it. People in the local tennis community here get pissed at people playing pickleball on the public tennis courts. Okay. Okay. So I've seen this then. Pickleball is the uh, is the game with the short, like wooden yeah, rackets. I think, I think and, so. And a larger ball. Because I've seen people out bogarting the tennis courts playing that game. But I was unaware that that's what pickleball was. I'd, I'll be honest with you. I haven't seen a pickle uh, in any of those situations. So I'm not sure where the name comes from. I had thought it was a thing mainly for retirement communities. Because it's like, do you like tennis? Do you like hitting stuff with a racket? Do you hate all the running about? Does does it just seem like too much court for you? If so, then maybe pickleball is for you. That's what I had thought it was. Okay, but th- like that, it's not that that doesn't make sense then, though, as a leisure activity, either for professional mixed martial arts fighters or football players, because we would have to assume that during their nine to five, they're going pretty hard. Yeah. Physically, okay. Right. You come Fair out enough. of you come out of MMA training, getting ready for your big fight against Sam Alvey. Uh, you probably don't want to go straight into a game of slam ball or something like that. You uh, you want to have a little bit of a relaxing time. Get out there with with your with your bros and hit the pickleball around. See, what I have led to believe by covering mixed martial arts fighting is what you really want to do is play Call of Duty on Twitch. Yeah, like that's no. what I had thought that you did. Yeah, maybe, in your uh, off time. Maybe take some of the CBD and yeah. play, play Call of Duty. I mean, you could probably play some, some pickleball on some CBD. But here's what I'll say about what Julian Marquez is doing. You mentioned he gets on there. He has some prepared material. There's a little bit of a cringe factor in watching him challenge yeah. a bunch of pro athletes to pickleball or badminton. And frankly, I think it'd be kind of awesome if you just stuck with badminton. If you were like badminton motherfuckers it's got bad right in the name <laughs> bring your ass uh and I, I i would i would appreciate that but even when i still feel like okay this is a little bit awkward for me to sit through as a viewer damn it 
I appreciate that you're trying, man. You know, maybe some parts of the execution are off a little bit, like the whole Miley Cyrus thing when he tried to get her to get a henna tattoo that said Cuban Missile Crisis, which has got to be the most baffling request she's ever got. And here he comes in with a going an entirely different direction. People didn't seem to love it right off the bat, but he's trying something. He's yeah. not just going out there and saying, I'll take whoever the UFC gives me next. He's not just going out there, you know, thanking his coaches, his lord and savior, and, and calling it a day. He's given us something to talk about. He's given us something memorable. And goddammit, we might even get a real pickleball match out of this shit. I have to say, the thing that Julian Marquez is doing reminds me a little bit of Lanny Poffo, uh, the the lesser known brother of the macho man Randy okay. Savage who was the genius over in uh in WWF and for a while he was the poet laureate of the World Wrestling Federation where he would like read a poem out loud either before or after his match and then we do it on a scroll right yeah well, well for, scroll. for a while he would throw frisbees out like to the audience and then i think that they they realized that that was a little bit of a non sequitur and they decided to go with the scroll instead. Yeah, but, not to mention that you've given the audience then a Frisbee to throw right back at anybody they choose later in the event. True fact. Maybe there was a Frisbee mishap at some <laughs> point. Uh, but I got to say, like Julian Marquez's delivery reminds me a little bit of a young Lanny Poffo, uh, which is not the worst thing, I guess. If you're if you're one of the UFC's, what is it, 3,000 fighters that they have under contract, you're out here trying to distinguish yourself with your 3 and one record in the middleweight division. Uh I've seen worse stuff. Let's just say that. Yeah. It doesn't oh. it doesn't even strike me as quite as cringe as the king of cringe, Henry Cejudo, back in his glory days. Oh no. Cuz it's it's fun. It's fun spirited, you know? Like hey, we're going to he's going to declare himself the baddest man from Kansas City, but the way he wants to prove it is badminton. Like okay, we're having a good time. I can get down with that. Best badminton player in MMA. I do want to know though, like if we, if if me and Julian Marquez sit down and start talking badminton, am I going to be surprised by just how intensely into it he is, or did he just try to think of something that sounded funny? Yeah, you're going to go over to Julian Marquez's house in the afternoon, and he's going to be streaming badminton on ESPN Plus, you know, live from across the pond over there in in England. He's going to be like, "Shh, sit down, man. This is the this is the Tier B City Championship. We got to mm-hmm. watch this. This is going to be some important stuff." Got it on an HD so we can see the shuttlecock. That's right. Now, uh, see, some enterprising MMA reporter should jump on this and challenge Julian Marquez to a game of badminton and really find out where the bone is buried. Where the bone is buried, indeed. You know what? I played a little bit of badminton, Chad. I'm not afraid to admit. I know you know your way around the shuttlecock. That's what everyone says. That's what everyone says. Remember, you're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast proper. This show drops every Monday afternoon for free in your timelines and podcast libraries. But if you think we're having fun right now, you absolutely need to check out what's going on over at patreon.com slash co-main event because Ben Folks and I are over there three times doing additional podcasts every single week. If you don't get your MMA fix from this show, you can check out our Wednesday live chat where we spend a full hour answering questions from the beloved patrons of the CME, as well as the Friday Power Hour podcast, an additional hour of curated MMA talk, which features the dreaded but amazingly named co-main event podcast, Patreon Power Hour Power Rankings. And, of course, there's the movie club for the hardcores. And, Ben, this week there's some controversy yeah. afoot because we, we had just gotten into Spy Movie Month over on the movie club. We had a uh, 
a vote set up this week pitting Spy Game, 2001 Spy Game against, what is it, 2015 Sicario, something like that. It was going to be Spy Game against Sicario. Speaking of Frisbee mishaps, this was a, uh, we had a voting mishap here. Yeah. Some irregularities. Some voting irregularities. uh, At the Patreon page. But really, what could be more fitting for Spy Movie Month, especially because we're going to end up watching Spy Game this week. A CIA intelligence community drama starring Brad Pitt and Robert Redford. And I can't think of a better way to segue into watching a movie about the CIA than voting irregularities leading into kind of a subversion of democracy. Wherein the CME's installed pick, Spy Game, is just going to go right ahead. Plus... People kept complaining that they didn't feel like Sicario was enough of a spy movie, so I think it kind of works out. We got to the answer eventually. Our methods may have been unusual, but we got there. We got the results, and that's the only thing that counts. And I'm telling you, you won't see a better chance in a movie to watch Robert Redford just wear the hell out of a houndstooth sport coat. You know what I'm saying? I'm looking forward to it. I'm definitely looking forward to it. If any of that sounds like fun to you, you can go over and join the team. Patreon.com slash co-main event. Three handy tiers of patronage available for you. So check it out if you've got the time. Also, don't forget you can run out and get your CME logo t-shirts right now at CottonBureau.com. We got those for sale. We got Cowboy Astronaut Cigarettes t-shirts for sale. And we got Dundasso t-shirts for sale. Those are always available on demand all the time whenever you want them. Go over to CottonBureau.com and drape those old bones in some CME merchandise today. We got music this week from our old school CME fan and friend Kyle Kelly Yonner, who also happens to be a tremendous drummer, and he's got a solo project out. It's an EP of instrumental tracks, mostly drums and synth. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can find the rest of the EP at his website, KyleKY.com, or follow him at KyleKYDrums on Instagram. A little bit of a risky play for Kyle to go with KyleKY.com, but you know what? I appreciate it. Just You you think some people might wind up there, my mistake? Like that's not exactly what they're looking for? They're not looking for some uh, some drums and synth music? You know what happens when you're looking for something different, but you wind up with some drums and synth music that you actually, turns out you really enjoy. We call that serendipity, Chad. Yep, yep. Out here looking for some personal lubricant, and instead... You stumble into a cool EP by Kyle Kelly Yarner. Let's see. We made it about 10 minutes into the show before the phrase personal lubricant. Appeared. I mean, so that's, that's you had already record. said you had already said shuttlecock. So it was all downhill from there. <laughs> Three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast in round number one. Marvin Vittori versus Kevin Holland turned out to be that rare network television main event that seemed like a bad deal for both guys. And in round number two, it was a crowded week of MMA action with one championship in Bellator, both putting on high-profile events. So, what did you miss? In round number three, the UFC jumps from ABC to ESPN as Robert Whitaker and Kelvin Gastelum try to jump the line for Israel Adesanya. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Jacob Ferrara, who writes, It sure would be nice if we could go one week without some MMA fighter saying something extraordinarily stupid and racist based on absolutely nothing. 
Rose Namajunas doesn't know that Wiley, what Wiley Zhang believes, and to treat this matchup as her chance to stick it to communism based on nothing other than her being Chinese is super racist and uninformed. I can understand the basic sentiment she's working from based on the horrific treatment her family experienced at the hands of Soviet Russia, but that literally has nothing to do with Wiley, and that type of talk is never acceptable. But to do so when an uh, when anti-Asian sentiment has been on the rise makes it even dumber and callous. Uh, so this is one of those situations, Ben, where I read the stories and I saw the headlines. But God damn it, I could not bring myself to watch the video of Rose Namajunas involved in a pre-fight interview here for her women's strawweight title fight against Wiley Zhang coming up at uh, UFC 261 on April 24th. Of course, that's the one where they're going to put all the fans in the Vistar Veterans Memorial Arena down there in Jacksonville. So I'm familiar with what was said, and I'm familiar with the uh, with the backlash against what Rose Namajunas said, but I'm, I'm just trying to be honest here saying that I didn't think... I didn't think that my empathy reflex reflex could stand actually watching the video. Yeah. I wondered if this is just one of those things that fighters do where they're, they're looking for something. That would be my take when I just read the words, right? That not, you're, you're, you're not only trying to like sell the fight a little bit, but you're also trying to get yourself hyped up, find something that can give you a spark both in training and to get ready for this. But I, I think it goes without saying that from Rose Namajunas, a person who up to this point has been like a pretty steady fan favorite, that this is not the right way to go. This is kind of ugly. Right. Well, and she's, she has talked about her Lithuanian heritage before, right? Like that's, that's been a, an important thing to her. Yeah. And so I guess she's trying to tie that into like, here's what the communists did here and like directly like to my family and stuff. Uh, and okay, I, you're, you're looking for something to fire yourself up about. If she had Venmoed the CME consulting services about this one, we would have yep. said, you know what, if that helps you, if that motivates you in training, go for it. Never mention it to anybody. Never say it out loud. Never. That's, that's something to keep just in your own brain. Right. Especially because one of the reactions that I kind of enjoy when something like this comes up is... You got Rose Namunas basically saying, like, you know, Zhang Wiley is Chinese, therefore communist, therefore sort of kind of responsible for what happened here in Lithuania uh, with the Soviets. And basically, being like, just because of the accident of her birth and that she grew up in in China, I'm putting her under this heading and going to get mad about it, about the, the evils of communism at her. And when I see, like, responses from fans, fight fans in other parts of the world and they're going you're american right like you sure are you sure you want to play this game where you just put some you lump somebody in with everything wrong their country ever did because i don't americans maybe sometimes we we grow up a little sheltered from that with our own the education about our own country we receive in public schools but a lot of other people they have a different view of American history and like you would not be like, Hey, I, I expect to answer personally for everything the American government has ever done. And in fact, the entire social and economic system that I live under, like I, I, I expect people to hold me personally accountable for that. Like, no, 
you would never say that. You you would you would never think that that is something that you would be held to account for. And yet, it's basically what you're doing here. I mean, if it's if you need something to motivate you, I wouldn't think you would because it's a title fight, and it's like two of the best in the world at that weight. It's going to be a legitimately dope title fight, by all indications. I'm really looking forward to it. This just feels a little bit unnecessary. It feels entirely unnecessary, and I just when you mentioned like. Like, this fight doesn't need that, man. You've got Wiley Zhang, who is undefeated in the UFC and 21-1 and overall, uh, and coming off, you know, back-to-back wins where she won the strawweight championship and then defended it in one of the greatest women's MMA fights of all time at UFC 248 against Joanna Jacek. And you've got Rose Namajunas, who, aside from, like, that freak slam knockout loss to Jessica Andrade, back in 2019 has also been very good over the last several years, including those, her own back-to-back wins over Joanna Jacek and her stint with the, with the strawway title. So it's like just based on what we can expect athletically in the cage alone, this is a fight that I think that we're all looking forward to. And you just don't need to do that, man. You don't need to take it there in your pre-fight interview, uh, no matter how you meant it or how you're thinking about it. And I would describe it as sort of like a rare public relations misstep for Rose Namajunas, who has been like a likable figure in this sport up to this point. Likable and sympathetic. Yeah. Yeah. Next question this week comes to us from Tracy Dickinson, who writes, I thought I was past the point of being surprised by anything that Conor McGregor does. But Dustin Poirier saying that he hasn't given the 500,000 donation, $500,000 donation that he'd promised to Dustin's foundation and that he has been ghosting their messages actually did surprise me a bit. As shitty as Connor's reputation has gotten, he's actually seemed like a decent guy when it comes to donating money to various causes. Is there any possible way for him to redeem himself after such a heartless act? My only thought is that the Good Fight Foundation is to give the Good Fight Foundation $1 million instead of the 500000 he'd originally promised. Thoughts? Uh, this, this thing has escalated somewhat quickly. <laughs> From from where we began and what what can like seemed like just some sort of stock pre fight back and forth between Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor on Twitter, where Conor McGregor continues to work his gimmick that he doesn't think anyone has actually seen the fights uh, that he has been in. And and Dustin Poirier was kind of, you know, playing the Dustin Poirier part of being the hard nosed fan favorite who's going to come into this thing and hoping to repeat the same outcome that we had the first time around. Uh, and then Conor went ahead and and published his prediction for for how the fight was going to go and Dustin Poirier filed fired back with this dig like hey man you promised me this money for the good fight foundation uh which is a thing that we all know about at this point and then I never got it and your team has been avoiding me and this thing has elicited not only responses from Conor McGregor himself in the in a couple of tweets but also from Adi Attar Conor McGregor's manager and agent who normally is one of the few MMA manager and agents who stays out of this stuff yeah. So you can that's how you can tell that it's kind of that they're taking this kind of seriously and how the, like this this stuff could affect maybe Conor McGregor's already staggering public persona but uh who knows man who I like if you told me that Conor McGregor had had talked a big game about how he's going to donate this money to to Poirier's foundation, especially after Habib Nurmagomedov had done great things in and around their fight, and then after it was over when he lost, maybe that promise slipped through the cracks one way or another. I guess I would not be astonished. And all of the uh, the explanatory, expository stuff that McGregor and Adiatar have done after the fact 
certainly doesn't explain away Dustin Poirier's claims. It's not like anybody is coming out saying, we actually did give you that money. Right. What I mean, they're yeah, saying is, what had happened was yeah. dot, dot, dot. When you say his claims, they don't seem to be disputing that Conor McGregor, Conor McGregor has not given this money that he said he was going to give. And Conor McGregor's claim is essentially, we wanted to see a plan for, for basically every cent of what you're going to do with our donation, which... I could see if you go to some charitable organization, you say, hey, we're thinking about making a large donation, half a million dollars, pretty sizable donation. We're thinking about making this. How would you use it if we gave it to you? Let us see a plan and then we'll decide like if we want to give it. I, I mean, that would be reasonable. But what happened here is that you were doing good guy Connor stuff before this second fight. Seemed like a part of a little bit of a long-term image rehabilitation attempt by Connor McGregor after everything that had been going on with him, TM. And we're like, you know what? you got this big uh, charitable organization that's doing great stuff. I, I, I love that, man. I want to help you out with it. I'm going to give you half a million dollars. And everybody went, awesome, man. That's great. That is really good stuff. Like, we're hurting to hear that. And then you had the fight. And then months later, you haven't given the money. Yeah. And if you go and you say that after that, like, hey, I asked to see the plan. And it's like... This isn't really that kind of a charitable donation, man. Like, you said you're going to give the money. So, like, you came out and said that. Like, I, I will give them this amount of money. Don't then afterwards be like, okay, let me see, like, a detailed breakdown of exactly what you're going to do with it. And if you don't, and if, and if I don't get that or if I don't like what I see on that, then I won't give them money. Like, it's not like you don't get to go to, like, a charity auction and be like, all right, yeah, I want this person, like, to... Like, come over to my house and, and break leaves, whatever. And then, like, be like, okay, I asked them afterwards for a detailed breakdown of what they would do if I actually did pay for the thing. And I didn't get it or I didn't like what I saw. And so I'm not paying for it. Like, everybody knows that's kind of a bullshit move, man. Like, especially after you came out. Because everybody in the MMA space was operating on the understanding that you had given this money. Because you said you would. And it, everybody was saying, like, oh, yeah, good job. Like, way to give that money. And then the just vociferous response after Dustin Poirier kind of makes this public and Conor McGregor's like, I didn't get this plan from you guys and goes straight to calling him an inbred hillbilly after that. And meanwhile, Dustin Poirier is like, you guys won't respond to any of my charitable organizations, like communication attempts with you. Like maybe they are trying to give you, or maybe they were, are going to work with you to show you something. But if you are just ghosting them, uh, that doesn't really open the door for much to happen there and especially when you're the dude walking around with the two and a half million dollar fuck watch chad yeah it, it, this is a glaring contrast because it's like part of conor mcgregor's whole brand has been live vicariously through my lavish lifestyle like i will show you all these great things i've achieved and like i'll flaunt this magnificent wealth and if you're a fan of mine, you will be like, hell yeah, brother. I'm into that. I'm into like the fancy suits. I'd say fuck you all along the pinstripes. I'm into the yacht life that you're out there living. I'm into the fuck watches. I'm into all that. And to be doing that at the same time that you're like, well, I didn't see a, an accurate enough accounting for how this charitable organization was going to spend my money to help these kids. That Those two things don't go together really well. It's a lot harder for people to enjoy the fuck watch stuff, man, at, after something like this. See, what happened was on the night of January 24th, 2021, Conor McGregor was made aware of the calf kick, found out for the first time mm -hmm. 
that if you enter into a mixed martial arts fight, one thing your opponent might do is kick you in the calf. And since then, he hasn't been able to focus on anything else. It's been all about checking the kick, figuring out this crazy calf kick stuff. Just totally forgot about the $500,000 donation to the Good Fight Foundation that Dustin Poirier typically uses to buy backpacks and school books for kids in Lafayette, Louisiana, and build a playground up the street from a school. And the thing is, like, it's not like this is a thing that Dustin Poirier just invented the night before this fight or something. Like, right. he's been doing this a little while. And it's also, it's not like MMA has a ton of fighters who have their own charitable organizations that seem to be doing good stuff. Like, there's a few you could name, but it's not like, like in the NFL, it seems like every NFL player has a foundation or something that they do. And MMA is not really like that. So many fighters are worried about just scraping by on their own that they don't have a whole lot of these kind of things. And so when you have one that is like fairly well established at this point and that has like a track record of actually doing stuff and other fighters who have fought Dustin Poirier have helped out a little with it, with it before. And then you go, I didn't get the, the spreadsheet I wanted to, to know that this shit is on the up and up. And you're basically like kind of sort of accusing him of maybe being willing to embezzle these funds. Like that's, that's not a great look. For you as Conor McGregor trying to be on the good guy tour. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Next question this week comes to us from Tony Romo. Okay. Former NFL quarterback turned broadcaster. Good to hear from him. Hopefully not too sore about that time that he and uh, the rest of the Eastern Illinois football team came out to Missoula and got their asses handed to them by the University of Montana Grizzlies. But anyway... His question is, you're in charge. He's keeping it short and sweet here. So props out to Tony Romo for that. You're in charge, he writes. Does Mackenzie Dern get the winner of Wiley versus Rose? Of course, uh, Mackenzie Dern goes out here in her own women's strawweight fight on Saturday. Ben and beats uh, Nina Nunez, knee and Saroff, via first round armbar. And this was, without a doubt, the best version of of Mackenzie Dern that we have seen in the UFC thus far advancing her promotional record to six and one. She's won four in a row now since losing to Amanda Rebos by unanimous decision in October of 2019. Uh, and she has got three submission wins and one decision over that span. Like I thought, you know, obviously the, uh, the standup game is still a work in progress for Mackenzie Dern, but she looked to be in the best shape that we've seen her in up to this point, which as I've said before, considering that she fairly recently produced another human being onto our planet. Uh, it's amazing to see her not only competing, but also seemingly like in this kind of shape to come out here and fight uh, Nina Nunez. She looked as good as she's looked on the feet to this point. And then of course the most impressive thing is if that you got that uh, potent Brazilian jiu-jitsu game, you got to be able to get the fight to the mat. Her takedown was pretty special and then she gets down there and uh she's able to work herself into that arm bar and get the victory do you think it was number one contender worthy not quite i I think that it's impressive and i really like watching mackenzie dern fight you know that i'm a sucker for any jujitsu specialist who's out there still getting it done Yep. You know, and, and the, everything that she does, when she gets down to the mat, she's just like methodical. She is improved, like working to improve position, like establish a, a good dominant position, and then look for the submission from there. And like Nina, Nina Nunez was doing a good job defending that arm bar for a while there. Also worth noting that Nina also recently 
produced a baby out of her own body. So like pretty remarkable for her to be back in this quickly too. But she was, you know, she, she saw that armbar set up coming. She was doing the right things defensively. She seemed like she was close to being able to hold on to the end of the round. And Dern just kept on digging for it and got it. And you know, I love shit like that. But I also think like, if you are a specialist, like a jujitsu specialist right now in this division, You've either got to have pretty good stand-up to go along with it, or you got to have really, really great wrestling to get the takedown on some of these people. And I don't know. I don't know that what we've seen from Mackenzie Dern so far convinces you that she could do this against the very top of the division yet. But I'm interested to see her baby-stepping her way on up the rankings after something like this. I mean, it's like somebody was asking my mailbag, do you throw her in there against Ioana Janjacek next or something? And I still think there might be a little bit more room to like let Mackenzie Dern grow a little bit more gradually than that. But I, I mean, I get excited about stuff like that. So I'm, I'm all forward seeing where she's going and where she can go from there. But like, I also don't want to see you throw her in too quickly against somebody who is just a buzzsaw on the feet and she's never going to get going. Yeah. Uh, Nina Nunez came into this fight ranked number five overall. A little bit officially. weird. It's a little weird that she in was ranked that high strawweight rankings Mackenzie Dern was number 11 uh but yeah no I agree with you but but I mean I think it's time that she would she matches up with with a mid-range contender someone like Atisha Torres or Michelle Watterson or Claudia Gadella you know somebody like that actually and all of those people are technically ranked below Nina Nunez but like we said that's Mackenzie Dern still is a work in progress in terms of her all-around MMA game so uh I think one of those mid-range contenders, someone that we've heard of, but someone, but not necessarily someone that if it doesn't go right for you is going to rearrange your face in a slow, painstaking three or five round destruction like what Joanna Jacek would do. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Last question this week it comes to us from Jizzy B who writes, are we going to have to be worried about Mike Perry in a few years? Hashtag CTE concerns. He also got his shit rearranged by Vincente Luque. And on Saturday, he took a Tony Ferguson level beating. He also already had prior outbursts outside the octagon is the fact that he is in the UFC. The only thing keeping him from doing something really stupid. Uh, Mike wait, Perry. Wait, wait, this question I mean, presupposes that Mike Perry <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's is like uh, restraining himself from doing something really stupid. I think you may have you may have found a factual uh, error here in Jizzy <laughs> B's email to us because it is not as though Mike Perry is not doing stupid stuff out there in these streets. Yeah. Uh, he lost to Daniel Rodriguez in the first fight of the main card on ABC on Saturday. Uh, things have not gone particularly well for Mike Perry over a long period of time now in the octagon where he is uh, three and six in his last, no, I'm sorry, three and seven in his last 10 fights. And clearly things have not gone well for him outside the cage either. It has been a while since you've been able to even classify Mike Perry as a fun personality in this sport, just because of all of the very ugly details that came out uh around his relationship with, with Danielle Nickerson, basically domestic violence allegations, et cetera, et cetera. So the only thing that Mike Perry has had going for himself as of late would be his reputation as a fun and interesting fighter. And I'm not even sure that has been on, been on display 
during his most recent appearances. Like he kind of did the Mike Perry thing against Daniel Rodriguez uh, on Saturday. He threw some hard punches. He looked game and very durable, showed off his chin. But if that's all you got going for you and you're Mike Perry, that's not enough, man, because it feels like we can see this guy almost actively regressing as a, as a combatant in front of our eyes. And you know, this was supposed to be the fight where he just recently uh, hooked up with a new team, had some new coaches and, you know, was not just trying to make it on his own as, as a, an MMA athlete. And we get a, a look at Mike Perry, who, uh, you know, looked like he was physically in shape, but just in terms of how he approached the fight, didn't didn't look like he had made any strides or any positive steps in that direction. And just from an athletic standpoint, that worries me to see a guy who's still only 29 years old, sort of like walking backwards in terms of what he is able to do in the actual fights. And then of course we know outside the actual fights, Mike Perry has been an absolute loose cannon. So uh, I do think that it's not outside the realm of possibility that we should be worried as to what the future holds for Mike Perry here. Yeah. You know, did you see what he wrote uh, on Instagram afterwards? I think it was where he was like, I used to be great. I don't know what happened. And it's like, man, you, you're going to kind of make me feel bad for Mike Perry now. Like you kind of breaking my heart a little bit. Well, and the, he did all the prerequisite stuff in the lead up to this fight, just talking about becoming a new dad and mm-hmm. how he was all refocused. And now he considered himself to be a role model and all this different stuff. And like, Clearly the, you know, this is one of those time will tell type situations, right? Where it's like, yeah, Mike Perry can say that now, but where's Mike Perry going to be six months from now? Where's he going to be a year from now? Uh, And clearly the UFC slotting him as the first fight on this afternoon ABC broadcast indicates that they still have some, they find some value in Mike Perry and what he brings to the table. But like, I don't know, man, just just go from being a fun character in the UFC to being a guy that almost nobody can support just because of, of what we've seen and heard about him outside the cage. And also you're going to be getting whipped by Daniel Rodriguez. Uh, I'm not sure where we go from here to be perfectly yeah. honest. Well, and the best thing you can say about him at this point is like you said, the durability that he was able to take a hellacious beating from Daniel Rodriguez. He was just getting absolutely lit up uh, for basically all three rounds of this fight and looked terrible by like his face just looked terrible by the end of it. He had taken a, a hell of a beating and was still there. So, okay, you know, the, the toughness is still there. But I, I guess the, to the point that Jizzy B is making, I can see a little bit that if Mike Perry is already this much of a loose cannon at this point, if it's if he starts to feel like his career is disappearing in front of his eyes and like he does like this thing gets taken away from him you it's not hard to imagine him going into a real downward spiral there and though it isn't i was thinking this in a weird way i I didn't expect to end up talking about ernest hemingway in connection to mike perry but i was watching this ken burns ernest hemingway documentary on pbs have you seen this It's like three-part series thing i have not i've seen everyone talking about it but i haven't watched it it's worth watching. And one of the things that m- makes you think like, okay, this is, they're telling this story in a different way, at least a slightly different way now than they would have, say, 20 years ago, is, well, they don't come right out and say, Ernest Hemingway suffered a lot of traumatic head injuries that may have contributed to disturbing and like uh, dangerous behavior later in life. 
they will make sure that they mention like, okay, he here he was in a car accident and suffered a concussion. Here he fell on his boat, suffered yet another concussion. Here he used his head to batter open the door of a crashed plane so that he could get out before he was engulfed by flames, suffering still more head damage. And basically drawing this kind of connection to like, and then he kind of spiraled off the deep end there later in life. And that maybe that would have happened anyway, but having a whole bunch of traumatic head injuries probably didn't help him. And it seems like we are acutely aware of that kind of stuff now. And I wonder how aware we'll stay about it if it's like 20 years from now, 30 years from now, when guys like Mike Perry might be suffering from some kind of these long-term effects. Will we... like? Are we, is, is the CTE concern like a thing of the moment or is it just how we will think of these things for good, like from now on? Yeah. That's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, or concern that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comateevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. Right now, we are going to go ahead and roll on into round number one. Ben, a very wrestling-centric unanimous decision win for Marvin Vittori over Kevin Holland in the main event of this UFC on ABC card on Saturday. Clearly, as we all know, this was supposed to be Marvin Vittori against Darren Till uh, in a fight potentially to determine a number one contender for Israel Adesanya in the middleweight championship. Of course, Till had to pull out uh, on uh, relatively short notice after suffering a broken collarbone during training. Kevin Holland, who had recently suffered a defeat at the hands of Derek Brunson, steps in to fight Marvin Vittori. And we get this kind of short notice and makeshift main event for this network television uh, card from the UFC, just its second appearance on ABC. And things went, I guess, about like we expected. You had talked about this being a big risk for Kevin Holland to go return to the fire, I guess, so soon after his loss to to Derek Brunson and risk almost everything about the uh, the momentum that he had built up, nabbing what, five wins in a row in the UFC during 2020, one of the breakout stars of pandemic MMA, and now has suffered back-to-back losses to Brunson and Vittori. On the other hand, you know, if Marvin Vittori was hoping to make his case to uh, be the next up for Israel Adesanya. I don't necessarily know that this sort of like uh, impressive, but at the same time, somewhat methodical, grinding, takedown oriented, like top control style unanimous decision victory is probably not what the UFC brass wanted to see. And yet here we are in the wake of this fight, perhaps the main event that doesn't really advance the case of either man. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. Especially because if you're, if you're Marvin Vittori, right. And you're trying to make the case that you should get a title shot based off of this. Well, then Derek Brunson is going to be sitting over there being like, bro, I basically did what you did a month ago. Right. Put it on Twitter. And I did in it fact. to it. Said, I, drew the, <laughs> I drew up the blueprint and my Marvin right. Vittori followed it. And, 
And I did it for the guy who had a full training camp to prepare for me. And I still went out there and did it to him. You did it to him when he turned around and he took the fight on short notice after you had a full training camp to compare to prepare for somebody else. And he jumped in there uh, without much lead time at all. So why would it get Marvin Vittoria a title shot and it doesn't get Derek Brunson a title shot? And nobody was even talking about it getting Derek Brunson a title shot. So that's a little that creates a little bit of just like a logical problem. Now, we all know that like rankings and the logical this leads to this kind of thing in MMA doesn't always restrict the UFC from doing what they really want to do. But you do wonder, is this really what anybody wants to do? You come out of this fight and is anybody looking at Marvin Vittori and being like, we are super excited based on that last fight to see him rematch Israel Adesanya. I mean, he came closer than any other middleweight really to beating Israel Adesanya. But I don't know that there's like a groundswell of enthusiasm among fans where people are like, oh man, we're, we're rubbing our hands together. Like we just got to get this one back. Right. And after coming off a fight like this, you don't exactly help yourself too much in that, that category. Yeah. I mean, especially because if you're Marvin Vittori at this point, you probably stack up as a, a legitimate danger to Israel Adesanya and not necessarily a guy who has distinguished himself in the way that you would be super excited to have him as the champion. If you were the UFC, uh, I don't know that anybody is, is hungry for that foothold in the Italian fight market. Right. Uh, and kind of weird that this fight against Derek Brunson could serve as something of, of like an able game planning blueprint for how Marvin Vittori might try to handle a rematch with Israel Adesanya as well. He would probably, you know, try to do about the same thing. Not that, uh, Holland and Adesanya are all that comparable in their skill sets, but at the same time, like if he is able to do that to Israel Adesanya, and then you wind up with Marvin Vittoria as your champion, I don't necessarily know that you're trading up in terms of marketability if you're the UFC. Uh, for Kevin Holland, who now has lost two in a row, not only does uh, he find all of that momentum that he had built up now somewhat squandered but at the same time man if you are going to get out wrestled in a fight i don't think you want daniel cormier on the commentary team because you know that daniel (laughs) cormier and frankly dominic cruz who is perhaps the most technical of all of the ufc color commentators just in terms of how he calls a fight sitting in the broadcast booth explaining in painstaking detail all of the very simple rudimentary stuff that you need to learn and add to your game to be able to stop these takedowns. I guess on one hand, it makes it seem like uh, the stuff that Kevin Holland has to do to shore up his game is doable. But on the other hand, man, I don't know that I would be too thrilled with it if I'm trying to make my case as like an elite middleweight and a dude like Daniel Cormier, lifelong wrestler, is sitting over there talking about all of the very simple tips and tricks that he could teach me while I'm, I'm getting basically undressed by Marvin Vittori. Well, what I wonder is, like, what did Kevin Holland think was going to happen in this fight? Because after everyone saw Derek Brunson expose your deficiencies in that department, you don't think everybody else is going to try to do the same thing? Right. Everybody else that, that that feels like they have a good wrestling game? like Especially when it's such a short-notice turnaround. You got less than a month between the fights. Marvin Vittori's not stupid. He knows that you didn't have enough time to go back and just suddenly fix all those problems that cost you in the Derek Brunson fight. Like he knows. He, even if you spent every waking hour 
between that fight and this one, doing nothing but working on takedown defense, it's still not enough time to make huge, huge leaps in that. And so he's going to make you prove that you have solved that problem right off the bat. And when he, right. and he finds out that you haven't, he's going to keep going back to that well over and over again because, like, it, there's high stakes in these fights. Half your paycheck depends on winning. Nobody's going to mess around with that if they don't have to, if they see that they can beat you easily this way. And I, I don't know how he thought that people are not watching these fights and are not going to try, try to do the same thing that the other guy did as long as they're physically capable of it. And Marvin yeah. Vittori, from what we've seen, we knew he was. Yeah. We knew he, he had this kind of stuff in this game. So I don't I don't know. It should not have been a surprise to Kevin Holland that that's the strategy Marvin Vittori was going to go with. And now, perhaps the unintended consequence of taking these two fights back-to-back on such short notice and now suffering these two straight losses and having Daniel Cormier and Dominic Cruz painstakingly detail the holes in your game, it leaves this impression around Kevin Holland where it's like, well, man, you better fix this problem now. Mm -hmm. Like you don't have any uh, future time or uh, luxury in trying to close these holes in your game. And so he goes from being this guy who fought five times in 2020 to now being a guy where I sit back and say, it should be a while before we see Kevin Holland again. Like he should go back to the gym. He should work on, he should probably bring in Daniel Cormier to teach him how to do all of this stuff that he's talking about how he needs to do. And he should sit back and, and work nothing but take down defense submissions from the bottom and how to get up for like probably eight months or something. Are you and, saying eight months of sprawl training? Yes, Kevin, eight months saying? of sprawl training, okay. and then and then bring him back, which is like a, a probably an uncomfortable place to be if you're a guy like Kevin Holland, who we know likes to stay busy, likes to fight a lot, and had been had built himself into the only guy that Dana White could mention when Stephen A. Smith begged him on a broadcast to talk about a young up and coming fighter who could be a star for the UFC. Like that's to go from being that guy to now being a guy that you feel like needs to take some time away to, to perfect his MMA game in such a short time is probably not a great feeling for Kevin Holland. I have to be honest. I saw the suggestion on Twitter right after the fight that what if we just drop Kevin Holland off in Dagestan for like a year, you know, and we can even put it on fight pass, Chad, there's a show or put it on ESPN plus one of those. There's a show I would watch is Kevin Holland just living in Dagestan and like, you know, each episode could have just sort of like an A plot and a B plot. Like the A plot is always like him working on his takedown defense and is learning the wrestling. And the B plot is like, mm, is he going to be jailed for like liking pictures of girls in bikinis on Instagram? Like that kind of thing. You know, you, you, you get a fish out of water thing and Khabib takes him under his wing. They, they won't go to an erotic place. Uh, even if Kevin Holland wants to, they'll, they'll, they'll be hard-nosed in the wrestling room, and maybe he emerges a completely different fighter by the end of the season. I love everything think? that you just said. Yeah. There what you do you go. Think, what do you think of the notion that Kevin Holland is fighting in the wrong weight class? Because we know he doesn't cut a lot of weight to get down to 185, but the last time we talked about Kevin Holland's prospects at 170, we also noticed, well, you go down to that weight class, you're going to fight a lot more dudes that have this exact skill set and are going to try to take you down and punish you on the ground. And, you know, maybe you feel like those guys will have a harder time taking me down and more importantly, holding me there. Yeah. Like just because they won't be as big. And maybe that's true, but that can't be the only answer. Like there needs to be a technical improvement here as well. But honestly, 
if if I were Kevin Holland and I thought I could make that cut without leaving too much in the sauna, without you know, and still be able to do all of my same stuff and take a punch and give a punch and and go uh, the distance if I have to, I'd try it at this point yeah. because you do kind of have like some roadblocks built in for yourself right now at middleweight after two straight losses here, and you lost a lot of momentum from that that five and 2020. Yeah. All right, let's do. Are you fucking kidding me? And then we'll move on to round number two. Ben, one of the wrinkles in the Daniel Rodriguez, uh, Mike Perry fight that we did not discuss during the intro to the show was, was this detail reported by our guy, Aaron Bronstetter on Twitter, uh, TSN's Aaron Bronstetter. He writes between rounds, Joe Schilling, who is a noted kickboxer, who is also Daniel Rodriguez's coach says Joe Schilling advised Daniel Rodriguez to throw the kick that they did quote on the ranch when they were on mushrooms. Of course we know, Uh, Daniel Rodriguez has done a lot of his prep down there at the BMF Ranch, Cowboy Cerrone's place in New Mexico. And then after the fight, during an interview with ESPN, here is Rodriguez's quote about it. All right, I'm going to be real, Rodriguez said laughing. This one time, this one time we were on mushrooms and I was doing some weird, crazy spinning karate stuff, man. It was crazy. We had been working on this. It's pretty much a heel kick, and he wanted me to throw it, but I was just having so much success with my hands, I just didn't do it. But yeah, you guys will see it one day. Mushroom kick. Mushroom kick. Are you fucking kidding me? Number one, this is awesome. And number two, why do I get the impression that I already can picture and know everything about what happens when all the guys at the BMF ranch do mushrooms? Just doing crazy spinning karate stuff. I believe it, man. I believe that that is exactly what happens mm-hmm. when all these dudes do mushrooms together. Are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me? Also, I love that he has asked, like, hey, what was that mentioned about, like, you said about that time we were doing mushrooms? And when yeah. the answer begins with, all right, I'm going to be real, right. then I go, oh, good. <laughs> He's Here not going to be comes. like, oh, that's just some code we use. That's just yeah. some, some fight gym code mushroom kick. That's something mm-hmm. different. You guys. Yeah, we ordered a pizza one time, and it came with mushrooms on it. And yeah, no, he's going to be like, all right, look, I'm just going to tell you. Yeah. We got high on mushrooms, and I was doing karate in the garage, basically. Yep, and, which sounds awesome, like, frankly. And you're like, yeah, I believe it. I believe it 100%. Jed, my, are you fucking kidding me? We mentioned Kevin Holland, Derek, or, and uh, Marvin Vittori. Kevin Holland mentions this in his, his post-fight Instagram post, uh, where, you know, first, he, he apologizes to Darren Till. For not getting the job done, which I think oh, is interesting, since he had stepped in for Darren Till, um, but then says at Derek Brunson, Brunson versus at Marvin Vittori next, since you both hump so well. Props to you both; you made me a better man. Uh, now, there's a long storied tradition in mixed martial arts when you get beat by a superior wrestler, you complain about wrestling basically even being legal. Yeah. That he he just wanted to hold you down and hump you. He just wanted to like take you down and lay on you. He didn't really want to fight. You came here to bang, bro. And it has never ever worked, as far as I can tell, to convince people to just not exploit an area where you are obviously weak. And it has never ever worked to really make you seem that much better after a loss. And yet, from the the mid two thousands at least. Up to the present day, people are still trying it. 
Are you fucking kidding me? Can we at least, if we're gonna do a thing where we come up with some kind of thing to be like, okay, yeah, he beat me, but it wasn't that cool. Can we at least come up with a new thing? Because we've been doing this one for a long time and it never, ever seems to accomplish anything. Are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me? That's gonna do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Chad, as we mentioned before, the UFC, not the only one in action over the past week. Friday night, you had Bellator out there with the Ryan Bader versus Machida rematch that we've all been waiting on pins and needles for all these years, but was the opening of the Bellator Light Heavyweight Grand Prix. Before that, as we discussed in Friday's Power Hour, you had one championship making their debut, one on TNT1. Rolls right off the tongue. Just mm-hmm. like the CME Patreon Power Hour Power Rankings. Um, what do we make of what was going on out there in the the non-UFC organizations over the past week? A lot of, a lot of action out there in the cages, the various cages in the world of mixed martial arts. Yeah, uh, we talked a little bit on Friday, as you mentioned, about uh, one championship trying to get their new uh, show on TNT up and running on Wednesday night. And... It got a couple of maybe disadvantageous outcomes in Demetrius Johnson and Eddie Alvarez both losing. Uh, Eddie Alvarez, of course, by disqualification, and uh, Demetrius Johnson when he just got blasted in the face uh, by a knee that would not be ele- that would not be legal in the states, but of course is legal in international MMA. So not the outcomes probably that one championship wanted as it uh, tries to make a push uh, into the U.S. market. And a lot of people really like one championship. A lot of people, it, it seems to be like a very kind of divisive uh, promotion in MMA because some people really like the the stuff that they put forth and, and you know, the mix of, of MMA and, and kickboxing stuff and, and sort of like uh, like a philosophical approach to, to honor. And they like, like they, you know, one FC doesn't want to give you any real like cartoon stuff. Some people really like that. And some people are like, fuck that. Just give me KSW all the way. Uh, but just watching the broadcast and seeing how things went and then seeing the, the television ratings after it, it came out, which were very low, just makes me feel like one championship is going to have a tough time, frankly, uh, forging into this market. And I don't even know how seriously it wants to, to be a, a contender to the UFC in this market or not, but like it was not the, it was not a picture perfect first start, let's say. Yeah. I still feel like Eddie Alvarez got hosed, man. He absolutely did. You got to feel bad for Eddie Alvarez after this. Those strikes that he landed were borderline back of the head, but like not not the kind of thing that you could imagine anyone getting disqualified for in a different organization. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. It, that kind of stuff, like when people go away with sort of a like a lack of closure, from your fights, that's never a good thing. And also, I don't know if any of that translated into like, okay, the people who we know and came to see, maybe who had the name recognition, maybe they lost, 
but now I might tune in the next one to see the dudes who beat them. And right. and and I don't know if you necessarily got that uh, from one championship here. Meanwhile, over there in Bellator, saw Ryan Bader get his unanimous decision on over Leota Machida. Sweet, sweet revenge. Just served served way cold. You know what I mean? <laughs> and by cold, you the... mean a long time after the fact. Just... Yes. Yeah. It had That's been what sitting I mean. around in the kitchen for a long time before Basically we decided to stale. serve it. Yeah. <laughs> but he got it. And he moves on in that tournament, most importantly. You also saw Liz Carmouche get a victory over Vanessa Porto. Uh, Adam Borch. You know I like the Borch business. Yep. He High got out there. The Borch business. He got out there and got a win. Uh, Kat Zingano made quick work of Olivia Parker getting herself an armbar. You mentioned on the, the Power Hour that maybe... If you were a Bellator fighter who gets called for Kat Zingano's second fight there, you're thinking that they are not necessarily trying to be on the Olivia Parker business. She made it look fairly easy there. Uh, what Now that we've, we're one fight in there, we're, we're moving along with the light heavyweight tournament. Seeing Ryan Bader and Leota Machida in the opening round definitely reminded me a little bit like, okay, this is not the same selling proposition that you were offering me in the, in the featherweight Grand Prix. It's a little bit different. In some ways, yeah, and I feel like a rematch between Ryan Bader and Lyoto Machida is almost the sort of light heavyweight attraction that I am least interested in from Bellator at this point in the year of our Lord 2021. Like, I think we are in agreement that we're both still pretty yoked for the uh, the light heavyweight World Grand Prix, but like starting it off with Bader versus Machida made it feel a little bit anticlimactic. You know, I, I'm more interested certainly in seeing a guy like Vadim Nemkov, the new champion who just defeated Ryan Bader and, and how far he can go in the tournament. Uh, and then, of course, you know, you got new acquisitions like Corey Anderson and Anthony Johnson and UL Romero. Probably the uh, the marquee attraction of the this first round will be that uh, Anthony Johnson versus UL Romero fight coming up during the first week of May. Like that's that's the stuff that we that we're really hungry to see out of the 205 pound tournament. Not necessarily Ryan Bader and Leoto Machida. I don't think anyone is sitting on the edge of their seats wondering if Ryan Bader is going to be able to solve the distance puzzle against Machida and whether or not his wrestling will win the day. As it turned out, the answer was yes. But uh, like, I think there's a lot of potentially more interesting stuff coming up in the Bellator light heavyweight Grand Prix. Uh, but yeah, starting it off with Bader versus Machida was kind of a, a lukewarm way to do it. I think as I was watching it, I was kind of like, this is, this is like maybe the thing I'm least interested in about this tournament. Did it make you wonder if you were prematurely hyped for UL Romero versus Anthony Johnson? Which is has a similar thing of a couple of guys we know from the UFC, also a couple of guys getting a little bit long in the tooth. Yeah. Are you still all the way hyped for that? Or did you think like, wait a minute, is this another basically Legends League fight? Yeah, I mean, there's some additional intrigue there just because both these guys are are new acquisitions by Bellator. It's been a long time since we've seen Anthony Johnson do anything. Uh, and obviously one of these guys who kind of Mike Perry style seems like he continually gets himself in trouble outside the cage, does not seem like a, a human being that any of us would want to spend a tremendous amount of time around. But just in terms of how he fights can always bring thunderous power to the table. And then people have been talking about how Yoel Romero does at light heavyweight for a long time. One of the most common recurring questions 
in our Wednesday live chat as people will, will say basically like Yoel Romero to 205 dot 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 question mark. Uh, and now we're going to get to see it against Anthony Johnson. So like that's that's a matchup that I'm actually kind of intrigued to see just for those reasons. Uh, and, and with Bader and like Bader is probably going to go on to be a player in this tournament, man. Uh, if we're just being honest about, about how it's going to go, um, he'll, he'll get the winner of, of Corey Anderson and Dovit John Yajgamurdov. Nailed it. Definitely nailed it in the, in the semifinals. So, uh, you know, we will be hearing more from Ryan Barry Bader as the tournament goes, but I feel like, you know, the loss to Nemkov took some shine off, off Ryan Bader and, uh, what exactly we're going to get from the Bellator version of Leota Machida remains to be seen. So this matchup specifically was just one that I felt a little ho-hum about, to be perfectly frank. Now, I did want to mention before we move off the, the topic here that on the undercard, we saw a victory by the, you know, still young in the game, but undefeated, currently, I believe, sitting at 3-0, and Cody Law. Now... Cody Law sounds like a video game character. Mm-hmm. And as of this moment, as far as I can tell, looking around on the internet, does not have a nickname. And it feels like he's just crying out for one, man. When your name is Cody Law, mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of possibilities there. And then I go and I look at Cody Law's record. I see that in his previous fight, uh, also in Bellator back in December, Cody Law defeated Kenny Champion. Come on, Bellator. Are you just making up names? Are you just taking yeah. two guys off the street, throwing them in there, and being like, "All right, let's see, kid. Uh, you look like a Kenny. You're you're gonna be great. You're Kenny Champion." Yeah. How did I, mean, I that, miss this? That smacks of Pat Patterson becoming the inaugural WWF Intercontinental Champion by winning a fictional tournament in Rio de Janeiro, right? Just be like, "Oh yeah, Cody Law. No, he beat uh, he beat Johnny Champion." Uh, hell of a fight. Hell of a fight yeah. over there in the Philippines is where it happened. Nobody got to see it, but uh, you have to take our word for it. Now, Ben, is it possible that this fellow Cody Law has really, really long arms? Okay. Because I mean, I see a direction. I see a direction we could go. I mean, he's he's a featherweight, five foot eight, reaches sixty eight point five inches. Long arm of the law. Looking at there. Long arm of the law. Cody Longarm of the, is that you're saying his nickname should be Longarm of the? Yeah, which then you can't say that before his name. You have to say it in the middle. So we're gonna have to get some notes to uh, to the announcer just to make sure we that, we stick the landing. That uh, that harkens back to Jesse Water Bongfelt. <laughs> All right, what's your idea for Cody Law? Smart guy, you over there? What are you percolating? I don't know, man. Uh, I mean. Cody Marshall Law? Hmm? Mm, okay. All right. Now you're just asking people to misspell that, right? I mean, you are also asking, though, for somebody to come out to uh, Judas Priest breaking the law, mm. right? Like, yep. That's just, that's going to happen on a long enough timeline. That's right. Well, you can probably see with the way that this is ground to a halt that uh, that's the end of round number two. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for our discussion about what Cody Law's nickname should be. We'll be right back with round number three.
from the big platform over there on ABC, the UFC now jumps to broadcast ESPN with this card coming up April the 17th, this Saturday, again from the Apex down there in Nevada, headlined by Robert Whitaker's middleweight fight against Kelvin Gastelum. This was supposed to be the one, Ben, where we saw Bobby Knuckles take on Paulo Costa, but uh, Costa had to withdraw from the fight just uh, due to a quote-unquote severe flu, whether or not it was still uh, complications from COVID-19 or an additional sickness that he suffered afterward was, was a little bit of an unknown as we heard his team kind of describe what had been going on with him. But in any case, Kelvin Gastelum steps in Robert Whitaker uh, back on the winning way of things, at least in the wake of that UFC 243 loss to Israel Adesanya with victories over Darren Till and Jared Cannonier, probably knocking on the door of something resembling number one contender status, even though Adesanya doesn't seem particularly interested in doing it again, brother uh, with Bobby Knuckles. And of course, Kelvin Gastelum just able to snap his three-fight losing streak in February with a victory over Ian Heinish. So um, he makes a relatively quick turnaround to get back into the octagon here against Robert Whitaker. Kind of weird that these two guys have never fought. Frankly, you look at the uh, you look at the records and you and you think, what have we been doing keeping Bobby Knuckles away from Kelvin Gastelum all this time? Well, wasn't one of their they were supposed to fight right, and wasn't that one of the collapsed battle? Fights for, oh, for Robert been. Whitaker. Yeah, that. Might I don't know been. if it was that one exactly, but I think it was that one of Robert Whitaker's very unfortunate turns took him out of that fight. You know, you mentioned the Israel Adesanya not necessarily looking to, to that excited about doing it again with Bobby Knuckles, but if you look at kind of who's available right now at middleweight and who has recent relevant wins, it kind of seems like he might end up having to do it again with somebody because, yeah. like we talked about before, you got Marvin Vittori just coming off this win. Um, you also got Derek Brunson kind of in the mix since he did get the same win basically as Marvin Vittori. Israel Adesanya's fought both those guys, beat both those guys. You got Robert Whitaker here against Kelvin Gastelum. Israel Adesanya has fought both those guys. You know, uh, Paulo Costa still out dealing with COVID after effects. He just fought Paulo Costa. Like basically the only guy, uh, you know, Darren Till broke his collarbone, so he's going to be out a while. He's ranked five. Um, and then at, at number three, you got Jared Cannonier, who was looking like an option until Robert Whitaker beat him. It kind of seems like Robert Whitaker is well-placed to be one of those guys where he gets the title shot just by systematically eliminating all other options. Like He, he beat Darren Till. He beat Jared Cannonier. He, he has an opportunity now to beat Kelvin Gastelum. Even if it's not anybody's, like, a thing that they, anybody is super excited about right away, if Robert Whitaker wins this, I kind of don't see how you deny him a title shot. Kind of seems like he, he deserves a title shot after the last win. Yeah, I mean, it's been roughly 18 months since his, uh, since his loss to Israel Adesanya. We talked about, you know, the idea of Kevin Holland making a quick turnaround, and, and in some ways we've talked about Conor McGregor making a, a quick turnaround to have an immediate rematch with Dustin Poirier and the, and the work that those guys could or could not potentially do to close those holes in, in their game. Like it would be interesting to see a rematch between Robert Whitaker and Israel Adesanya, just to see if Whitaker had come up with any additional uh, strategies for closing the distance and getting into the, to punching range with Israel Adesanya or how he would, you know, face that rematch because clearly the first time around his plan did not work out. Uh, but he has had some time now to rehabilitate himself in terms of two straight wins. And now obviously this matchup with Kelvin Gastelum, I would think if he wins here, 
and he, it would be pretty hard to ignore the case that he can make. And especially if you're the UFC, uh, maybe potentially a slightly more marketable fight for Israel Adesanya than any of those other guys you mentioned. Uh, probably splitting hairs there because I don't know if Robert Whitaker is really going to, you know, set the world on fire in terms of a buy rate. But at the same time, if I'm the promoter, I'd probably have Robert Whitaker in there than Marvin Vittori or Derek Brunson. So this is a big one for him. If he gets the win, I would assume he'll be he'll be real close at least to a, a potential rematch with Israel Adesanya. Yeah, and I mean, not counting Kelvin Gastelum out because he is a good fighter and, you know, obviously got a lot of like natural talent. But I would. This is a fight that Robert Whitaker should win. I would think just because he he's such a smart fighter who can do so many different things. And Gastelum, I think, you know, he is a little bit more one sided than than Robert Whitaker, and also a little bit undersized for middleweight. Like Robert Whitaker might struggle against some of the bigger middleweights, but Kelvin Gastelum isn't that. You know, like yeah. he's a little bit short and a little bit small for for middleweight. And it seems like that's the kind of guy that Robert Whitaker really excels against. Yeah, if Kelvin Gaslam has one, like, sneaky talent, isn't it, like, suckering dudes into a into a brawl that he could, he might be able to win or at least make closer than you would anticipate him being able to do on paper? So, like, I wouldn't, as you said, totally write off Kelvin Gaslam here. And I also wouldn't be surprised if this turned into, like, a somewhat closer fight than we expect it to be just because it seems like these are the sort of situations where Gastelum sometimes overachieves. Like he's able to get himself into a slugfest with another guy and, and kind of make it close down the stretch. I don't know that I would pick Kelvin Gastelum to win this fight, but uh, it's also the, the sort of thing where I, I can see him uh, coming out of this thing with all of us saying, Oh wow. You know, maybe we slept on Kelvin Gastelum a little bit headed into this fight. I don't know if you noticed this, but I'm looking at the card right now on the undercard. You got Andre Olowski versus Chase Sherman. It's yeah. a, a heavyweight fight that seems like it, for all I know, it has already taken place twice in the last five years. Yeah. And uh, that's another injury replacement, right? Didn't, uh, didn't, uh, oh, Parker Porter was scheduled to, to face Chase Sherman. He was removed just on April 7th due to undisclosed reasons. And so Andre, Andre Arlovsky is in. And Arlovsky is, is, uh, not too terribly far removed uh, from that loss to Tom Aspinall in February. So it's an interesting one to see Arlovsky jump in against Chase Sherman. That's that's a that's an interesting choice. Also, I don't know if you've looked at what we're doing with Andre Arlovsky's Wikipedia picture lately, but they're doing that man dirty oh, with yeah. the picture they chose wow. for Wikipedia. Yeah. It he- it looks like somebody photoshopped his nose. <laughs> <laughs> it does, doesn't it? I mean, we know that they didn't, that his nose has gone, has been through some rough times recently, but it's like somebody took the worst possible screenshot ever captured of Andre Olofsky's nose and put it up here on Wikipedia for the world to see. Yeah, we need to, we need to launch an investigation. Who's got a grudge against Andre Olofsky? <laughs> it does seem, though, that like, I can somehow way too easily imagine a version of the UFC over the next five years where at any point you could look down at a fight card and be like, oh, Andre Olofsky's on the undercard here as a, as a heavyweight. Okay, here we go again. And his yeah. 75th pro fight or whatever. Yeah. All right, Ben, let's, uh, let's do Just Saying Stuff, and then we will get out of here for this week. Ben, what is your Just Saying Stuff? Well, Chad, as I'm sure you know and have had circled on the calendar, this weekend you got the Triller Fight Club boxing match main event between Ben Askren and Jake Paul. 
I know you're very excited about this one. Who, who uh, do you, Jake Paul? That's not a person I've ever heard of before. I'm not. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure you may know him is. as Slick Willie Paul. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah Robert okay. Paul. I know who that, you're talking about. That guy. Now, I'm sure you know he achieved fame primarily as a YouTuber. But did you know Jake Paul is also an actor? Has done several film and TV projects. What we're going to do here, Chad, is we're going to play a little game. I am going to read off, let's see, five titles of film and TV projects that Jake Paul has has worked on as an actor. One of them I made up. You're going to tell me which one. Are you ready? How many are there? Four? There's five. real ones fake? There's five and four are real. Are you ready? Okay. Yeah. No, I'm ready. Dance camp. Right swipe, wrong time. Airplane mode. Mono. Bizardvark. Read them one more time. Dance camp. Right swipe, wrong time. Airplane mode. Mono. Bizardvark. The project starring Laramie Paul that you made up is Airplane Mode. No, I'm sorry. That is a real film. And the poster, in fact, for Airplane Mode uh, is kind of like, I guess, a parody off the poster for the film Airplane, but to the point where it seems like a parody that they might get themselves in some copyright danger. Right swipe, wrong time. Not a real film. But it could be. We're looking for investors right now. Wow. If you want to be an executive producer, you'd be like Steve Mnuchin. What do you say? You know what? That was one where I was like, well, there's no way he made that one up. So <laughs> you got me. You really got me on that. Do you want to, when are we going to sit down and have a viewing a dance camp is what I want to know. We're not going to do that. We are definitely not going to do that. Well, Ben, flyweight Jimmy Flick was supposedly getting ready for a May 8th meeting with uh, Francisco Figueredo at a UFC Fight Night event. Jimmy Flick uh, on a four-fight win streak right now, including a victory over Nate Smith at the Contender Series that got him into the UFC, and then uh, a first-round flying triangle submission over Cody Durden way back in in December of, of 2020. So he's getting ready for this this next upcoming fight, but then he shows up this weekend at uh, he went to po- posted a video here on Facebook. Looks like he made this announcement at a small time MMA show that he's retiring. So that's unexpected. And here here's the quote. Just want to read the quote. I don't want to be the next Conor McGregor or the next Demetrius Johnson. So tonight I step into this cage to tell everybody I'm retiring from mixed martial arts. I'm going to pursue other goals in life that make me more happy than fighting. Uh, I have three goals in life, spend time with my family, help my wife reach her goals. And then my third goal is to finish the book. I started over a year ago to tell my story, to tell my life story. He says, the UFC is not my dream anymore. Uh, the UFC is not looking out for me. Why my wife is looking out for me. My kids are looking out for me. That's what I want. I want to be their father. I want to go to work every day and come home with my family. And I want to come home to my little girls. I want to spend time with my wife. So I guess, first of all, I'm just saying this is the most, one of the most reasonable and apparently, uh, 
I would say, following your best instinct sort of retirements that we've ever seen in this sport. Second thing I'm just saying is uh, that the thing about the book, maybe just have a fallback plan because I'm here to tell you, you're not going to be paying the bills with that, uh, with the book. Just saying. Wow. I'm just, just saying. I did, that was a turn I didn't expect. I'm just saying, like, maybe uh, maybe there's something else out there with a guaranteed paycheck for Jimmy Flick. I mean, I think he's talked about having a pretty good job and doing okay. The book sounds okay, like it's just the thing he as, wants to do. As long as he's doing it in his spare time, that's just fine. That's the right way to do it. I'm behind everything Jimmy Flick's got going on, I guess. Just saying. Wow. Noted author Chad Dundas tells everybody, don't write a book. It's <laughs> stupid and lame. Well, it's not entirely what I said, but, uh, you know, I know you always hear what you want to hear, so that's fine. Chad Dundas, colon, books are dumb. Don't write one. <laughs> that's going to do it for this week's Co-Main Event Podcast. Thanks for joining us. We will be back all week over on the Patreon page, patreon.com slash co-main event for the live chat, the movie club, and the power hour. And, of course, one week from today, back again for the proper to break down all the stuff that happens at this UFC on ESPN card and to start to look ahead to UFC 261. Uh, that's coming up near the end of the month. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. If you are writing the memoir and your name is Jimmy Flick, you've got a lot of opportunities for great puns. Sterling's gold. That's right. Just, and that's just the first idea that came off your head. That's right. Look at the whip. I don't know what we're doing here. What are your ideas?